welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 924. I gave him a weak smile. I think it's more complicated than that. I held up the wooden ring for him to see. I need you to tell me what this means. Brayden's jovial cheer evaporated more quickly than if I'd pulled out a bloody knife. Lord and lady, he said, tell me you got that from some old-fashioned farmer. I shook my head and handed it to him. He turned the ring over in his hands. Mellowin? he asked quietly. Handing it back, he sank into a nearby chair, his walking stick across his knees. His face had gone slightly gray. The mayor's new lady wife sent you this. As a summons? It's about as far from a summons as anything can be, I said. She sent a charming letter, too. I held it up with my other hand. Brayden held out his hand. Can I see it? He asked, then drew his hand back quickly. I'm sorry, that's terribly rude of me to ask. You could do me no greater favor than reading it, I said, pressing it into his hands. I am in desperate need of your opinion. Brayden took the letter and began to read, his lips moving slightly. His expression grew paler as he made his way down the page. The lady has a gift for a well-turned phrase. That cannot be denied, he said. She might as well have written this in blood. I think she would have liked to, I said, but she would have had to kill herself to fill the second page. I held it out to him. Brayden took it and continued to read, his face growing even paler. God's all around us, he said. Is excrescence even a word? He asked. It is, I said. Brayden finished the second page, then went back to the beginning and slowly read it through a second time. Finally, he looked up at me. If there were a woman, he said, who loved me with one-tenth the passion this lady feels for you, I would count myself the luckiest of men. What does this mean? I asked, holding up the ring. I could smell smoke on it. She must have burned her name into it just this morning. From a farmer? He shrugged. Many things, depending on the wood. But here, from one of the nobility? He shook his head, obviously at a loss for words. I thought there were only three types of courtly rings, I said. Only three a person would use, he said. Only three that are sent and displayed. It used to be you sent a wooden ring to summon servants, those too low for iron. But that was a long while back. Eventually it became a terrible snub to send someone in the court a wooden ring. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And Nick is even now uh, coming back from seeing Barbie. So I can only assume that he's going to arrive to the podcast like fully kenified. I'm hoping for covered in glitter, possibly yeah. with cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. No shirt, uh, you know, tanned. Oil no, no, no. Wait, no, no, like undershirt, but definitely like an like the unbuttoned Hawaiian short sleeve shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. absolutely one of those. Totally, he's he'll be in full Ken chic. Yes, I'm hoping for like the visors, like the ball caps that don't have a top on them. Those things. Yeah, the kind of thing you use when you're an accountant for the mob. Yeah. Sure. I think. <laughs> I think of them as like tennis hats, but yeah. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> tennis hats and accounts for the mob. That's right. <laughs> okay, to the page. Yes. Yeah, I... So, Nick, if he were here, he would talk about how uh, Quoth is giving a lot to Brayden in this moment. And I, th I think that is true. But I also think, 
Like, if I was close, I would be like, thank God I have another human being here who I can, like, bounce ideas off of here. Yeah. Like, thank God he has Brayden to explain this to him. And someone who's, like, not tied to the mayor, right? Like, he basically the only people he knows at court are the mayor, Stapes, and Brayden. And Stapes is the mayor's, like, right-hand man. So he's this is the closest thing he's going to get to, like, an outside opinion. And... I I totally agree that, like, I think Quoth needs someone to talk to and someone to, like, kind of, like, talk him through his anxieties. But if Nick is right and Brayden has some kind of ulterior motive and is not, is more than just a simple country tack player and courtier, then Quoth is giving him a lot of intel. But... On the other hand, the intel basically consists of Mellow and Lackless being racist and cruel to him in a letter. Uh, Which and... we could expect in in other ways, I guess. I, yeah, well, uh, I does guess... Brayden know that Quoth is Ruh? Or, does he, or did this letter reveal that to him? I think he doesn't know. Uh, I think, I can't remember if it comes up in the rest of the scene, but I think, you know, the letter probably makes it clear to him, unless he's just assuming that she's be, trying to be insulting and that it's not true. Yeah, like, I guess all I'm getting at is, like, it's not clear to me that this letter actually reveals a lot of actionable intelligence to Brayden, if that's what Brayden is after. And I also think that if Brayden is, you know, kind of acting the part of the the good-natured courtier, then he's doing an incredible job because he makes his face go pale reading the letter, right? Like, I think that if he if he was actually, you know, a Chandranoid or whatever, he wouldn't have that reaction naturally to reading someone being racist to this kid, you know? Yeah, now, reasonable. I, now, here's a crackpot theory that is just occurring to me. So, okay. uh, listeners of this podcast who have excellent taste will remember that in season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the big bad of the season is an evil god named Glory, who is kind of a Barbie figure. But Glory is kind of trapped sharing the body of a normal human man named Ben. And neither, like, one of the kind of plot devices in it is that, uh, glory and ben don't remember what the other one know so it's actually possible i suppose that a similar kind of thing is happening to brayden here that brayden is inhabited by some kind of malign spirit and it's not clear what the spirit knows what brayden knows and who's in charge of the body at any one time that's a possibility i suppose but there's really no evidence for that at all just as there's really not a lot of concrete evidence that brayden is anything other than what he appears to be Indeed. I'm surprised you brought a crackpot theory to the table. Well, you know, sometimes an idea pops into my head and, you know, why why should I hold back? Uh, I do think it's a really good creative choice that we don't read the contents of the letter. It's not diegetic in the text uh, because then we can imagine what kind of horrible things, you know, Mellowin is saying to him and about him. Uh, and I do kind of think that the mayor doesn't know that she sent this letter. Wait, you think the mayor doesn't know she sent the letter? Yeah. 
Yeah, probably. Because I, I think I would, would agree with that. I think he would be like, "Dear, I'm sending him away. He like he's done me a good turn in the past. I, I'm like I'm getting him out of our hair. Can we just drop it, please? Like, don't don't stir the pot. There's no need for that. So I kind of think she's doing this behind his back. I I'm, I feel like yes, but also. I don't think the mayor would waste any more time like saying something like, oh, but he's done me a good turn in the past. I don't think the mayor would waste his time with that. I think he would just kind of let Mellowin have like her say and be like, oh, yes, don't worry. He's been sent away now. And he wouldn't give any more details than that other than like, don't worry, I sent him away. I did the thing he wanted. That supposes a scenario in which he doesn't know that she's sending the letter. Yes. Yes, but I, I guess assume that both if, both he doesn't know that she sent the letter and she doesn't know that he's actually given money to Kvothe. Okay, see, I, I guess I can't see her hiding it from him unless he made it clear to her, like, I'm done talking about this. Like, don't be mean to the kid anymore. That's the end of it. Oh, I can... I can absolutely imagine them keeping shit from each other. Like, yes, but this is a situation where I don't think she would feel the need to keep it from him unless he made it clear that he wasn't 100% on her side. You know, like, I I imagine that they probably had a screaming fight in their apartments where she was like, I want him executed. I want him tortured to death by your most sadistic torturers. And he was like, no, I'm not doing that, honey. Uh... I'm going to send him away because clearly his presence here bothers you. Uh, but, but, would she, good... but would he have admitted like, oh, I'm going to send him away, but I'm also going to pay for all this shit for him? No, probably not. Yeah. But I guess I what think I'm... they're both keeping things from each other. Yeah, sure. Yes. I feel like we're talking past each other here. It's possible. I guess it doesn't really matter. Is there anything else you want to talk about on this page? Uh, nope. Um, the only <laughs> other thing I want to call attention to is that, uh, this page sets up a further question that we are then answered, which is like, she sent him a wooden ring. He doesn't know what that means because it's not part of the game. And Brayden is about to explain to us exactly what kind of insult she means by that. Um, because... Yes. I mean, we already kind of know what the insult is based on context from this page. We just don't know the details of the, of that insult. What do you think it means based on this page? Based on this page, we know that it means that he's less than because it used to be something that they would give to uh, like like servants and stuff, and then it became a snub. So we know that to give someone a wooden ring would be to mean that they were less than. Less than what? Less than whoever was giving them the ring. Right, like you like But in this case to an extreme extent. Yeah, like we're about to find like, out. This is this one is not just less than the person who's giving them to the, the ring. In this case, it's less than the rest of society. Yeah, less than human. I guess we Potentially, should Potentially, yeah. Explicitly on the next page. Well, uh, yeah, but we haven't gotten there yet. Spoilers. Well, I was about to say that we should probably stop talking about it because we're you're just getting into stuff that's on the next page. God. I was only talking about stuff that was on this page. You're the one who brought the next page into it. 
You know what, Jordana? <laughs> You're right. That's true. What? <laughs> Should we attempt to read a mail? Read the mail? Uh, yeah, we can read a mail. Uh, let me dig up the mailbag. Stand by. All right. Uh, this next one is from Jacob. This letter is on the subject. What does Jacob say? Oh, hello. You've arrived just in time for me to read a piece of mail. Well, then, don't let me stop you. I won't. This letter is from Jacob on the subject of body part currency. Hello, patronauts. Congrats on nearing the end of book two. It has been a long journey, and I appreciate y'all sticking with it. On page 911, you discuss thumb chopping and what alternative appendages might be used as proof of the deceased. This brought to mind a rather vivid Bible story from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Here we find King Saul jealous and afraid of his talented young servant, David. There's even a song the people in the streets sing. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, David is unfailingly loyal to Saul, but the king can't see that, so Saul constantly sends him into battle, hoping his enemies will take care of the problem for him. But since God is with David, he keeps succeeding. Finally, the king tries to get David to marry his daughter, Michal. David feels unworthy to marry her because he has no noble bloodline and is from a small clan. So Saul tells David that to earn the right for Michal's hand in marriage, he must kill a hundred Philistines and return their foreskins, their penises, as proof. David eagerly agrees to this challenge and fetches 200 foreskins for his king. Talk about a happy ending. Humble yours, Jacob. A P.S. Reading the story actually made me think of some similarities between David and Saul and Quoth and Alvaron. Both rulers gain a servant that's a little too gifted and maybe outmaneuver themselves by trying to subjugate their vassals. However, I doubt Rothfuss's story will end up with Quoth as king. But it might end up with Quoth harvesting some foreskins. Did, did you I did add that last part, that? yeah, about the foreskins, yes. I mean... Okay, because I was thinking the same thing. I sincerely hope that there's uh, there's a, a foreskin reaping. You know what? Really and truly, no book should be without a foreskin reaping of some kind. Uh, I can't say I've ever read a book that does have one, including well, the Bible. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, right? Like, there's a, there's a gap that needs to be filled in literature uh, by foreskins. But... I mean, that just doesn't seem like a super practical way of, of counting your slain, because I feel like foreskin would would rot pretty quickly. There's no, like, bone underneath it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not like, we, it's we, like the, we talked about, like, whether or not you would harvest noses or ears, and the reason was you wouldn't because they would rot, and so foreskins would have the same problem. Well, and to be fair, people totally did cut off people's ears and noses and use them to say, hey, I killed that guy. But I feel like they probably weren't taking them like hundreds of miles over weeks and weeks and weeks. Does it have something to do with the fact that uh, David and Saul as as Hebrews uh, have no foreskins and therefore it can only come from Philistines? That is a really good point. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Thank God you're here, Nick. Call me... Bible scholar. That's right. I arrived just in time to point out the uh, circumcision fact. Well, now, I was thinking when Jeremy was like, "Like those are dicks." I was like, "Technically, those aren't dicks. Those are just the stuff on the tops of dicks." <laughs> uh, that bracket was in the letter, Jordana. I know perfectly well what, was a, what a foreskin is. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I assumed that you were like letting people know. <laughs> 
I mean, I feel like it would just be too fiddly to cut that... the foreskin off and leave the dick. So I assume you just cut the whole dick and balls off and be like, here, this one's got a foreskin on it. Yeah, well, it could be like a, a nuance of translation, right? Maybe the word for foreskin is the same mm. as uh, the word for dick and balls. Could be, yeah. Uh, for, you know, root and stem, meat and two veg. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like that he wants to do a fiddly uh, uh, surgery. Yeah, or he wants time. to make some kind be, of like ghoulish uh, tapestry with them. That's terrifying and now have you ever encountered the mysterious five skin (laughs) legend tells of the five skin actually one thing i wanted to say in regards to the ps of this letter is that the motif of a powerful king having a servant who is a threat to him uh and trying to discreetly have that servant killed by getting them to do seemingly impossible tasks is a, a rich vein no pun intended uh, that runs through a lot of mythology and literature. Like that's also how Heracles gets involved in the 12 labors uh, is like he, he's doing a penance for this King. He, who he owes the 12 labors to and the King is very scared of Heracles. So he keeps giving him labors that he hopes will get Heracles killed. Uh, and it just doesn't keeps not working out. Mm-hmm. And listeners, what matters to us as podcasters that we find out from Nick, uh, if Barbie was any good and how kenified he's become, we'll report back on tomorrow's page. Uh, uh, in the short, it was good. The wind. wind. <laughs> Oddly, it has a lot in common with 2001: A Space Odyssey. That is not a joke. <laughs>